Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Thibaut, CEO and founder of Vianova, a mobility intelligence platform that's raised $8.8 million in funding. Thibaut, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, so my name is uh, Thibaut Castan. I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, Vianova. Uh, it's a four and a half years old mobility data analytics startup. Originally, actually, I was uh, working in finance, so I started... Uh, I actually studied uh, mathematical finance in France and then in the US at the University of Illinois in the Urbana-Champaign. So started as a quant analyst and then trader in uh, London, then work in a, in a hedge fund in Switzerland, kind of like moving to the sustainable energy investment and then started my first startup in charging infrastructure, uh, building up uh, and deploying charging infrastructure and then sort of stop that and, uh, and then started Vianova. So somehow like came a long way, but, uh, looking back, I guess I can connect the dots as, as Chip Jobs was, uh, was mentioning. As you were going through your finance career, working at this hedge fund in Switzerland, in the back of your head, did you have this master plan that one day you were going to start a company or where did that idea come from? No, it went naturally. Like, you know, I had like, there was something in me that felt like I was at the wrong place, but I very much enjoy, I love mathematics. I was always good at it. And I, I just very much enjoyed the idea of working to mathematics and making a lot of money. And this is why basically I started in finance, as simple as that. And when I started in 2011, that was still basically where the best brain were going. And so for me, I wanted to have the drive and the learnings of like getting into this environment. But then it kind of like went naturally. And, and when I moved to, uh, to Switzerland working in this hedge fund, we had a very large oil position. And uh, some of the funding partners basically decided to hedge that and create like a new fund focusing specifically on renewable energy. And I very much liked that. And I then took sort of a journey of, of uh, almost a year and a half, two years to learn everything about that market. And by learning this market, I said like, look, I think I would have much more impact actually going from the investment side to the, being an operator and an entrepreneur and creating my first company. And so 2017. I started my first startup called Spark Horizon, which was essentially like an advertising sponsored charging infrastructure for electric cars. What was the outcome of that company and were you satisfied with that outcome? Yeah, so I think we started a little too early. So at the time we started, uh, there was not that much uh, investment into electrification. So I think we were probably like two to three or four years too early, I would say. However, like I think for me, there was great learnings. Uh, the business model was also quite complex because you had to master the outdoor advertising space. And secondly, you had to master the, the charging infrastructure space. So there was one utility and the other one advertising. So that's quite a complicated business model. But I think there was a lot of learnings for me in terms of brutal market, in terms of studying and analyzing the market well before actually launching a venture and sort of getting into the space of, uh, of mobility. Yeah? So we finally decided actually to stop the company because we couldn't scale, there was no sort of venture funds that were dedicated to infrastructure. I mean, most of the funds today are dedicated to uh, equity. 
And so we couldn't really scale it. So we, we decided to sort of uh, stop that after a year and a half and uh, somehow moved into an accelerator program. And from that, uh, met a lot of the mobility guru from Europe and US and got very much inspired. And we started uh, Vianova from that. When it comes to your inspiration, who is the most inspirational founder that comes to mind? I think Brian Chesky from Airbnb is, is one of the one I, I, I look up to because I think that that's, you know, like the difference between being the missionary versus the mercenary. And I think he is very much of a missionary. I think he made actually like an interview, like in another podcast, which I think he seems very human as a person. And I like that. He's very, he seems very human, very approachable. And he really care, I think, for, for the, the people he serves, for the company, he really care for his employees. Uh, you know, looking at how he handled also COVID and, and, you know, letting go a good proportion of the, the employees at Airbnb. I think that, that I look up to, to him and, uh, and clearly like he's an inspiration. Yes. Yeah. He's an incredible founder. I find it fascinating that he's still so engaged and cares so much about customer yes. feedback. I'm sure every CEO out there would tell you, oh, you know, customers are everything. But then you go and it's like a bullshit experience and it's awful. So they're not really being truthful. Airbnb, I think they have their issues. But from what I've seen on Twitter, like Brian is listening and he's actively pushing out things to make yeah. it better. And he really does yeah. care. And I, I think that's very rare for a CEO to truly actually care like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I can give you an anecdote of me actually meeting the number three of Microsoft in Paris. And I was amazed. Actually, that was, that was when I was building Spark Horizon. I was amazed how much energy he spent convincing me basically to use Azure for, as a cloud provider for Spark Horizon, which was like a six, seven people startup. And the care that he had, you know, like as, as a leader, basically, like the first, you know, you, you, you're the first salesman. You're the first salesman and you're the first uh, person to basically care about customer feedback. And, and that energy and the care that he had for me was, was very inspiring. And, and I, I try to apply that all the time, not to be too far from operations, make sure that I, I still get my hands hurt dirty and I understand, you know, client issues and, and be the first salesman of the company. What about books? When it comes to books and the way we like to frame this, we got this from an author named Ryan Holiday. He calls them quick books. So a quick book is a book that like rocks you to your core, influences how you think about the world and how you approach life. Do any quick books come to mind for you? Yes. So the one that I actually just finished reading that I like the depth of the concepts in this book. So the, the title actually sounds quite shallow. So the, the, the title is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And reading the title, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you could think that it's quite a shallow and you're going to get like very basic sort of concepts about, you know, waking up early in the morning or whatever. But it's the concepts are very deep, basically, about how you should actually lead your life, how you should uh, lead your professional life, but also any other things, basically, that is around, around you as, as a human being. And I like two concepts specifically there. I think the idea of, you, uh, of having a personal mission statement, and I think it's very important for people to to craft and write and change and iterate on what is their personal mission statement, what is their constitution, or what will make them who they want to be. And always reflect that to, you know, what are my life priorities? Come back to this personal mission statement, you know, what are my life priorities? What should I really prioritize in my life to achieve and be according to these values and principles that I have in my personal mission statement? And the second concept that I really like is the P2PC balance. So production to production capability. I think as founder, we always have this issue and that was one of my big mistakes when I started Spark Horizon that 
I had this feeling of emptiness, you know, when I moved from being an employee or being at the hedge fund and then starting my own company, I had this feeling of emptiness that I just jumped straight into, into the startup and worked super hard every day, every weekend. And I had, you know, I, and I, I think it was just an happy, you know, and I was, I was an happy and, and I don't think I was, and I think as a, if you're an happy founder, you are not an effective and efficient founder. So the P2PC balance makes sure that indeed you have to, you know, you have to produce resins, but you also have to take care of your production capability. So making sure that you have a balanced life, you know, relationships, uh, sports, you know, keep learning even outside of your professional life, having other objectives. I think that makes you more balanced and certainly also maybe more balanced emotionally. So you can actually like handle the, the sort of the, yeah, the, the rock and roll life of uh, being a founder and all the, yeah, you know, the difficult like sort of emotional swings that you can have. Yeah, that's one of those classic books. I think I probably read that like 10 or 15 years ago. And as you were yeah. talking, I, I looked up when it was written and it was at 1989, which is so funny to think about. I feel like a title like that was probably so novel and so new that I could see why yeah. people just couldn't resist buying it. Now that's the title of like 50 million blogs. And like, you know, it's kind of been like destroyed now by these like catchy things on social media, but it's a great book and a really great read. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I know that. What's your personal mission statement? Well, I have an urge basically, and I don't know where that come from, like an imbalance in me originally, I don't know, but I have an urge basically to make an impact and also almost to be recognized for making this impact. So there's probably an ego element in it, but I have this urge of making an impact to the world and I choose basically sustainability and climate action because I think this is, you know, I always say there's no planet B and we can also like you know, spend a lot of money basically to go to Mars or any other planets, but we should just take care of the planet we have today and live in harmony with, as opposed to living in conflict with the, with the nature. And I think for me, that's really what drives me in life. But having said that, like, I think I would balance that sort of personal mission by having a balanced life with things that feed my energy. And I think, you know, that's sort of one of the advice that we give to founders is making sure that you give a lot of energy away, but you need to make sure that you also find the time to retrieve energy. And for me, that, that is a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of sports, relationship, friends, that is core in my life. And I always take the time basically to prioritize them to make sure that that sort of positive energy comes to me and, and, and I replenish myself with that. Wow, super cool. Let's switch gears now. Let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So how we like to start off this question is really focusing on the problem. So what problem does Vianova solve? The transportation system today is inherently broken. You know, transportation as a whole represents about a third of greenhouse gas emissions. And it's key for us to electrify, you know, automate and generally basically improve the, the transportation system so that we can lower emissions and, and achieve this carbon neutrality. And the second part of it, uh, why transportation is broken, is that even in the 21st century, with all the technology that we have, uh, fatalities have increased by 18%, road fatalities have increased by 18% in the last four years in the US. As uh, so you've got the first economy in the world that essentially basically is producing more and more deaths uh, year after year through uh, road transportation. And I think that, that those two elements basically are the core challenges that we want to solve at Genova. Super interesting. Can you tell us about your customers and the types of companies that are using the platform and working with you? 
Yes. So Venova is a bit special in a way that our main customers are actually government entities, cities and municipalities. So we work today with a bit more than 60 transport authorities and cities across Europe, the Middle East and the US. So in the US, we work with Calvert City. In Europe, we work, for instance, with Paris, London, TF Transport for London, Amsterdam, Zurich, Helsinki, Oslo. So all these sort of tier one to tier two or even tier three cities are customers of Ganova. We also work with national governments. All these represent about two thirds of our turnover. And the last set of the turnover, which we call enterprise or B2B enterprise, are the fleets, uh, mobility operators, navigation systems, infrastructure managers, such as airports or port authorities. So those ones are basically the sort of the B2B enterprise sector that we are expanding more and more now. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. What's it like selling to a city? I can't imagine that there are short sales cycles. I imagine they're very long sales cycles, but what's it like? What's the uh, the inside story there? Yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. So it's a challenge, but it's also a mode. It's also a USP. So that means it's difficult to replicate for other companies if they, if they don't have the sales playbook, if they don't have the contact, if they don't have the channel of distribution uh, that are linked basically to, uh, to business, to government. So, I mean, what is it like? It's a lot of field sales, a lot of thought leadership events to meet basically the right people influencing them. Essentially, like at Genova, what we say is that we're creating a market, we're shaping our market. So it's very important for us to build a lot of content. And indeed, as you mentioned, like the sales cycles are fairly long. I mean, we, we actually did manage to, we started around nine, 10 months sales cycle, and now we're below five months sales cycle. So it's pretty good. Like we have an average ticket or our annual contract value, average contract value is on 30k euros now. We have less than five months sales cycle. So we've really managed to optimize our sales and by building the right playbook with this kind of entities. Yeah. How'd you do that? How'd you optimize sales? Very iterative. First of all, like, I mean, we've created a sales playbook that essentially like, you know, guides all our sales and AE to understand the different processes, basically the different step of the process to sell for business to government. Uh, but the real hack that we had, generally like pilot and POC works very well. So pilot POC, you, you know, it's, it's a very good way actually by entering the door of uh, those large of these cities and government, which also actually work very well for this uh, Fortune 500 uh, type of company. So you do a POC, you do a pilot, you're already in the door, you can actually sign for a small ticket, like 20 or 30K. And then basically you get a larger contract either because there is an RFP. And then, you know, in some effects, you, you have very good chance actually to, to draft the RFP actually with your client. Or because you just found like, let's say the, the right sort of innovation budget or, or direct awards that you can work with. So POC pilot has been one of them. Generally, like in terms of acquisition, we've reduced a lot. We've been much better actually at the outbound campaigns. So we've, we've really created like this sort of SDR role at Genova and how do we create those very good messaging? So we have a high response rate and the conversion afterwards. So that was like, let's say our trick to, uh, and not only actually like reduce the first, the first part of the, the funnel, 
but also like accelerate also the, the mid to, to end of the funnel. What about finding product market fit? What was that journey like? Did you feel like you had it right away or was that war and a lot of battles to get to this point? So the first ever pilot that we did was actually with Paris. Uh, so Paris, end of 2018, beginning of 2019, there were 35,000 e-scooter and e-bikes pre-floating. Uh, so that was a huge mess, huge mess. And uh, we actually went through a challenge, a city challenge that was essentially the goal, the challenge was building uh, or a network of drop-off zones and managing these drop-off zones and charging operators actually for parking their vehicle uh, in these drop-off zones. So we started like that with this first pilot and that really actually really drew the reference. We started like at the beginning, we were scrapping the data from the lime, the bird, the bird, the, the, the spin of this world. And yeah, and you know, that real sort of real case, real market cases and, and and pilots really helped us find this product market by, you know, iteratively basically like uh, working on the product. But also, like I have to say that I spent a year and a half every week meeting new clients face to face or new prospects face to face. So I, I was literally like living, I was couch surfing for a year and a half, for 18 months or 24 months. I was couch surfing, I had my bike, and I was like meeting every week a new city, a new like regional entity. And basically pitching Vianova, getting some feedback, working directly with the product team and improving iteratively that, that product, improving our messaging and building the sort of the first layer of uh, customers that are still following us uh, now afterwards. Yeah. Brian Chesky is another infamous founder who went couch surfing, I think, in the early days. So I can, uh, yeah. I can see the inspiration there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How'd you get the city of Paris to give you a shot? You know, you're a young entrepreneur, you come to them and say you have this big idea. Like, how do you get Paris to say yes? And, and the reason I ask, that's something that all entrepreneurs struggle with is getting people to give you a chance. What did you do to get them to give you a chance? So you have to make it easy to say yes. The truth is that I believe like in this large entity, sometimes there's more to lose for them to actually like acquire use software than actually not acquiring. Because not acquiring it means that they actually won't answer any sort of questions about why they did acquire it, how to follow, like what is the workload that maybe will go with the uh, the first onboarding, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to make it easy to say yes. And so this is the first part, you know, making it easy for them to say yes is, means again, like working with POC, with pilots, so relatively small budget, easy to implement, easy to showcase quickly some value. I think this is number one. Number two, and that comes actually as, as uh, branding and marketing, which is a, at the beginning a bit hard, I have to say, but building that sort of sort leadership that you can create on content. So having this content, basically, that the types of, you know, sort of account-based marketing and providing this, this content, basically, to these key prospects help a lot, basically, for them to easily, let's say, in, to say yes to your product because they, they can see, first of all, that it's easy, actually, to start implementation. And second of all, that you seem to be an expert in this field and they have to trust you. Uh, with your product. What about fundraising? So as I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised 8.8 .8 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? So fundraising, first of all, like it's very time consuming. It's very time consuming. So I think as a CEO, you have to dedicate probably 50% of your time for the next, for the next six months of fundraising. So I think you have to be aware of that. And so that, that means like, you know, from the first meeting that you're going to get basically to the closing and getting the money in the bank, it will actually take six months. So you really have to be ready for that. 
uh, you have to be ready for the due diligence, which will take a lot of time, which will ask a lot of hard questions. So it will be stressful during that time. And so what I've learned is, is making sure that you can delegate before you actually do your fundraising. So as much as possible, delegate so that basically the business doesn't have so much of an impact when you go fundraising. This is number one. Number two, I think you have to manage what you say well to investors in a way that first I don't look desperate, that's for sure. But you, you have to create basically this sort of competition. You have to cook, let's say you have to steer this mayonnaise between the different investors and make sure that there is an excitement going on. And at the end, like investors follow investors. And so if they feel like there is an interest, if they feel like the train, the train is, is about to leave, then they will jump on the train. And as soon as you have one to jump on a train, they will all follow. So you, what you need to get is making sure that you have one that actually jump in the train first. So you really have to manage well the communication that you do so that you basically build that excitement and really parallelize as much as possible, basically, your discussion so that you can also make that competition happen and reduce also the time to do your fundraising. As you can imagine, for us, for business to government, startup, it was not the easiest type of company to raise uh, funding for, even though like we've grown more than 100% every year, like for the last four years in terms of revenue, but they still despise thinking, okay, like business to government, for me, I will pass that. So yeah, that's the second one. And uh, second tip and third tip, invest a lot in branding. It's also, I think it's very important for VCs that, you know, they look up to your startup. So they, they you know, they want to have like a, a nice deck. They want to have something that is well designed, you know, so it looks good. They want to hear also good stories out there. So there is already like a certain branding for them to identify and, and there's a story behind it. I think this is the third one. So it's all the subjectivity into the investment that, uh, that you have to win, that you have to win over. Outside of fundraising, let's imagine that you were told you have to start the company again today from scratch. What would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself based on everything you've learned so far? First, uh, number one advice, human relationship is a priority. Basically, like human relationship and the people that you have in your team is the first, I would give myself as like, this is the first thing that you have to cultivate, that you have to improve and the people that you surround yourself are building the company. And so, as I said, like on my side, like I think, uh, you know, as a CEO founder, you always have like a bit of a mood swing, sometimes a bit more stressed and you're you can be very direct and transactional in the way that you're also managing the company and very like with a very low EQ, you know, <laughs> managing people. But at the end of the day, what I've realized is, you know, the, the power that you can have as a CEO and co-founder is the, how do you motivate your team and how do you motivate your team and how do you bring a set of exceptional people together to accomplish this mission? And so the first advice I would give me is that prioritize always human relationship over anything else. Amazing. Love that advice. Final question for you now, before we wrap up here, let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building? Yeah, so we see like our vision basically is to become the operating system of the mobility world. So what does it mean? Basically, it means, you know, building basically that sort of platform that will help solve any transportation challenges from road safety to curbside management to congestion pricing or optimized traffic management, uh, leveraging actually data from connected vehicles and IoT devices. And so that's the way that I see Vianova diversifying basically itself in terms of client verticals is a very exciting 
project that we're doing at the moment is that we are working actually with cities uh, to provide them with uh, near-miss events. Uh, so near-miss events are basically all the near crash that are happening in the city. So having a proactive uh, view on or proactive vision, basically, of assessment of road safety by using near misses and being able to almost predict, basically, where new crashes actually will happen. So we're working, we're deploying this actually in the US at the moment uh, with certain transport authorities. And we're also like including that in navigation system. So to give you a bit of a, a background, like a navigation system today are very much based on, you know, how quick can I go from A to B? And what we see is that, you know, how can we actually improve the navigation system so that on top of actually, you know, going the quickest from A to B, I can be the safest from A to B, you know, and how, what does that change? You know, but when you use your Google map in Waste, basically in, in LA, for instance, and they tell you to go to cross basically this three by three and you have no traffic lights, you have no visibility, you have nothing, you know, that's so dangerous. And, you know, how do we actually provide our data insights machine to machine? in a way that, you know, how Vienna can create this data insights to navigation system or to autonomous vehicle so that basically um, they can drive uh, in a safer and more sustainable way. Amazing. Thibaut, love the vision and I, I really love this conversation. We're going to have to wrap here, but before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in that want to follow along with your journey, where should they go? They can find us actually on uh, Twitter, on the website with vienova.io vianova.io, or they can actually like reach out to me directly on LinkedIn uh, with Tibult, T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T, Castagne, my last name, and send me a message and connect. And I would love, I would love to, uh, you know, to have more conversation. Amazing. Thibaut, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you, Brett. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 